All right, good morning, welcome. Welcome to the seventh annual Texas Tribune Festival. I'm Eva Maria Yala. I'm a reporter with the Dallas Morning News, education reporter. Uh, welcome, today we're gonna to be talking about testing and accountability. Please make sure your phones are on silence and make sure your phones are on silence, guys. And uh, if you want to tweet, it is TribFest17, is that right? The hashtag TribFest17. All right, so this morning I have with us, we have Dr. Flores, Steve Flores from Round Rock ISD. <laughs> Applauses are welcome. Thank you. We have Dr. Art Cavazos from Harlingen Consolidated School District. We have uh, Dr. Paul Cruz from Austin ISD. Mm -hmm. And HD Chambers from Aleaf ISD. And Dr. Susan Hall from Grand Prairie ISD. And again, because I didn't get a pause on Eva with the Dallas Morning News. Okay. All right. And so this morning, like I said, we're talking about the new A through F accountability system that's coming out to grade schools on this new system. But complicating it this year, like most everything else in Texas, is Hurricane Harvey. You know, Hurricane Harvey hit, and it impacted an estimated up to maybe 1.5 million, yeah, 1.5 million students, and that's about, you know, 20% of our kids. And I'm very interested to hear what HD has to say about this. HD is one of the superintendents who took the lead in working on uh, HB 22, which helped make significant changes to how schools were going to be graded when this new system comes out. But he's also in the Houston area school district that you know was impacted and. I was down there in your neighborhood, and you know, while your schools escaped a lot of damage, you know, there's neighborhoods out there that were just completely devastated. And you know, I ran into one of your school board members out there volunteering, and you know, it was just overwhelming to see what was going on. You know, so first, you know, how are your staff and kids doing, and you know, how's this new A through F rollout going to impact them? I mean, how how are we going <laughs> to? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a loaded question. <laughs> um, all right, first of all, on, on behalf of the Houston area districts, as well as the Corpus Christi area and the Golden Triangle area, for those in the public education realm who have provided support, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, we've, we've had, and the we is the royal we. Uh, I'm the only one up here from the Houston area, so I, I don't pretend to speak for everyone, but uh, as it relates to, to Harvey and the aftermath and the continuing aftermath of it, we want to thank everyone across the state and across this country for the, for the outpouring of, of resources and prayers and, and thoughts. It is appreciated. And I'd also like to remind everyone, while Houston and the greater Houston area gets a lot of this attention, folks in the Corpus Christi area, Victoria, Aransas Pass, Rockport, uh, smaller districts, very small rural districts, those in the Golden Triangle, the Beaumont, Port Arthur, Orange, Bridge City area, uh, they took it just as hard, if not worse, than, than many of us in the, in the metroplex of the Houston area. So as we're thinking about this as a, as a state, I don't want to forget about those, those, <coughs> those entities as well. Uh, to answer your question, I think every day is a better day. Uh, some of us, from a facility perspective, took it worse than others. But, uh, but facilities are, we'll, we'll take care of the facilities. Here are the issues that, that I'm concerned about, and I will correlate them to, the, to accountability and, and assessment. Um, we have teachers, the first-line instructors, people that are responsible for carrying out the mission of educating our children, who lost everything. And before their teachers, their, their husbands, their wives, their people. And, and they all have to react to trauma the same, in, in the same ways that you and I would react. So before we start expecting them to deliver instruction, their profession, their craft at a very high level, we have to do everything we can do to help them be a person and, and get their, from that, and that's from where they live to where they're living to, to put them in the, the right mindset of, of being able to educate kids. So our first and foremost, the first thought, with all due respect to the state accountability system, was not what's A through F going to be like or what are we going to do about STAR. STAR ranked about number 20 on the list of things I was worried about. And to be honest with you, it ranks about number 21 right now is where I, what I worry about. So my, my point on, 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 and not just House Bill 22, and I'll be happy to talk about that later as well, but my point is, is that 
it, it bothers me that the second question after people ask, how are you doing after the storm? The second question they ask is, are they going to do something about star? Mm-hmm. That's the second thing on their mind. Our state has programmed our public education system so much that the thing we worry about most, or second most in this case, seemed to be about star. It was before, are we going to have to make up the days? It was before any of that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about star, never have been. I'm not concerned about A through F. I am concerned about the quality of instruction that's going to take place over the next school year, in many cases, just because of the adult issue I discussed. And that's no indictment of anyone. That's just a, a human being reacting to the, to the trauma that, mm-hmm. that they've experienced. But um, I'm not going to let A through F or some test impact the way we deal with individuals, both at the adult level and the child level. And, and uh, our good friend Richard Carranza made a comment uh, that he wasn't worried about it either because they were busy sta- saving lives mm-hmm. versus preparing for, for a standardized test. And I think all of us at, the, at that time were busy saving lives. So yeah. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but that's, that's what's on my mind right now. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, uh, those first days, especially uh, I was up in uh, Klein ISD, and I spent the day with a teacher who, you know, literally her husband was cleaning out everything in their house, and she had a pile of junk, you know, laid out on her porch, and she was, you know, in class trying to make things better for her students. And she was anxious to get back, saying her students needed her. And sitting in her classroom, you know, there was a number of students there who weren't personally <coughs> impacted, but they were very upset about, you know, seeing their friends in their neighborhood. You know, and a lot of these students have moved across state. They've ended up in Austin ISD and, you know, Dallas area. You know, how, how do other school districts help these kids feel at home? Yeah, but let me say one uh, thing about teachers. Okay. And then, and then uh-huh. <clears throat> if you're an educator... You, I couldn't be more proud of the men and the women who have experienced what I just described who are coming to work every day. I failed to mention that. We have teachers coming to work every day, and they were coming to work when we went back to work on September the 11th. They were coming back to work every day, leaving a home that had nothing but rafters and concrete floors and a pile of garbage that 50 foot high in their front yard. So for anyone who is, wants to be critical or anyone who wants to question who cares about kids more than anyone other than the moms and dads? Put it to rest. Teachers care about their children. They care about their kids. And in situations like this, they're literally leaving their homes and putting themselves at risk to make sure that they take care of their kids. Mm-hmm. So I don't... <clears throat> that, that's across the state of Texas. I don't mean to imply that it's just along the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. But I was proud of the way the teaching profession mm-hmm. reacted to this. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. That's good. And, and Paul Austin ISD got a lot of students. You know, how's that been working there in Austin? Okay. Well, in the Austin community, um, certainly when we had, uh, I guess it was two two situations. One is because our families in Austin also have families in Houston and in mm-hmm. Corpus. My dad lives in Corpus, and just knowing that very personal perspective, it was about making sure that we had the most information and accurate information for mm-hmm. our own staff members as well, um, to make sure that we knew that all families were safe. Uh, and had these opportunities to check on family. I think that's what people wanted to know, um, just myself uh, also included in that. The other thing is, of course, having, uh, setting up shelters. <coughs> so we set up shelters for, uh, for families, perhaps, who uh, didn't have the resources for mm-hmm. a hotel or didn't have family somewhere else. Uh, we set up a few shelters in the Austin School District, um, and we provided uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We also, um, along the lines, having so many students there, Mm-hmm. And having um, students there just sort of thinking and waiting and parents wondering and not being able to, to, be, to respond to their kids' questions, what we set up is we set up just some activities for students. We had some of our own staff members come in and do social-emotional <coughs> learning skills with students. We had them come in and do physical activity. Uh, we had just some fun activities for kids as mm-hmm. well, just trying to, to uh, have some level of normalcy. Uh, we actually had a you know, Friday night game for them to go to. Uh, we had one of our principals who actually got free tickets and got a bus passes to take him to museums and libraries here in Austin. Because to think about it, and it was just when we'd go to the shelters, kids were there 24-7. <coughs> and many actually came on a bus. So they couldn't just get in a car and go somewhere else. So it was for us, it's what can we do as an Austin community to support our families, to support our kids? 
And so as HD says that we teachers really do take care of our kids, but we also know when we see a child in need, we're also going to take care of that child. And the Austin community, something I love about Austin, is we always step up to the plate. Uh, we have to be there to support our kids, support our families, many times our most vulnerable families who don't have other outlets. So I was really proud with the responses uh, with the school district, but I also say for us, it was also working very closely with the city of Austin and the county. So it wasn't just us, uh, because it was a citywide issue, we came together with our mayor, with the city council, and the county judge to, to determine the best uh, support systems that our families are going to need along the lines of social emotional learning, uh, guidance and counseling, and of course, uh, meals uh, that were essential for our families. You know, and, and unfortunately, this all does come back to accountability. You know, right. this is the first year that A through F is coming out, and there's a lot of at stake with these grades. You know, a lot of people are worried about what this is going to mean. You know, for the future of public schools, and you know, the, <coughs> kind of the fight for the hearts and minds of you know families to keep them in public ed. You know, how how is this rollout going to be when you have basically one in four, or one in five kids that were impacted by this storm? I've already, mm -hmm. I've already talked. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and step in. Uh, first of all, I think that a hurricane like Harvey and the devastation and so forth, uh, it, would, it would be a sad day if we don't take teachable moments from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that uh, in the Hardingen community, uh, super proud of the kids and the community coming together to find ways <coughs> to help our colleagues and our friends. Uh, the reality is that there are a lot of people impacted. Uh, and, and that reality happens at all levels. And so while you may have teachers that are impacted, mm -hmm. uh, as adults we have different coping skills. Uh, children may not. Mm -hmm. uh, while we're dealing with hurricanes and natural disasters, uh, being on the border, uh, our students are worried mm -hmm. about the earthquakes in Mexico mm -hmm. uh, and how that's ex you know, affecting mm -hmm. extended family. Uh, I will tell you that uh, this is a stop, look, and listen, and while this is a natural disaster and we can see the evidence of that disaster, uh, there are challenges in, in systems throughout our state mm -hmm. uh, that will manifest itself as a result of this. So the A through F rollout, I think that um, I think there needs to be a pause because there will be a lot of things that uh, people will want to generalize, mm -hmm. uh, but when you do a deep dive, you'll <coughs> find that there are a lot of different intricacies through the A through F system. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, because we live in a society where there's uh, uh, no, nothing on delayed gratification, you know, we want instant, uh, people might run with that uh, grade uh, and begin to make generalizations and not stop and look and listen to, to the deep dive into those systems. Uh, and so we're in a, we're, we're in a very uh, unique situation in which this is our social awareness, this is our reality, uh, and this doesn't stop, right? So mm -hmm. how, how are we going to do as a public school system uh, tell the real story mm -hmm. and the story that exists? Just real quick. I've been in a couple of meetings over the last couple of weeks with leaders, state leaders, and one of the comments when the accountability system came up was, well, we still have to teach kids how to read, write, and add, subtract. Well, no joke. <laughs> uh, I don't want anyone I don't want anyone to think for one second that our teachers and our campus leaders and superintendents and school board members and community members when we came back to school we were just coming back to school without the thought in mind that we're going to teach kids we don't need an accountability system to drive us to teach kids I don't need an A through F system to force me to start teaching kids whether I've experienced something like I've just experienced or not Classroom teacher doesn't need that. So at the state level, whoever makes these, whoever's going to make these decisions about accountability, whether it counts, it doesn't, that's their call. It I, doesn't matter to me. We're going to teach to the best of our building. We're going to deal with the emotional and the social needs of the kids. But to, to imply that the reason we need to consider keeping the accountability system is, a, is to keep teachers teaching is offensive and it's dead that's wrong. Correct. And I think we ought to fight and push back against that. You know, I think one of the things that uh, I realized uh, in Round Rock, the biggest uh, issue we had uh, the first week was pick up and drop off at a high school. And that caused headaches for about five minutes, ten minutes. And then sometimes, even one day, I thought, man, I'm spending a lot of time on this. 
And then you see the national or the natural calamities that existed within the few days. And it puts a perspective on everyone's life that says, this is not what's important. What's important is coming together and assisting others. Last week, we were with the Holdsworth Center in San Antonio, and we had Klein and Lamar Consolidated. And hearing their stories just is amazing. So just one thing before the A through F, one of the things that they say, they're receiving a lot of goods for you know, products, for students, this, that, the other. But what they really, really are in need of, because teachers and adults were also displaced, is money. So again, when we think, in our, and I thought back to our school, all 54 campuses did something that allowed for that. The district had an effort as well. But when it, what it taught us and what it t- teaches me, even to this point, that the world can change in the drop of a hat, where the pickup pick of a high school now, I know there will be some parents that don't like me saying this, but that became, if that was 21st, it became 22nd. Uh, so, again, how things can change. And as we go into the A through F system, back when we announced, you know, the, the, the first preliminary A through F, they said last January, oh, it's, it's next year, there's no relevance. We won't. Well, then it's announced prior to, and it's throughout, during the Christmas holidays. So our response to that, and if you go back, I, there's a letter that that I, I sent to the community, and we scored well, and we will score well, but I didn't highlight that because I don't believe that's a fair assessment or a fair way of judging public schools. At a time, we need people to support public schools, not get disenfranchised by looking at a letter grade that might be a C, might be a D, might be an F, when all things considered, great things are happening in our Texas public schools. And that's because of the teachers that we have. Well, right when the preliminary what-if looks came out, you know, I saw superintendents and schools coming together in droves and banding together like I've never seen to oppose, you know, the A through F grades. And, you know, a lot of people found that odd that educators would be against grades. You know, it's like, can I go tell my mom not to worry about that C in chemistry that I got? Because, you know, she's still upset about that. So, you know, one of the biggest complaints that, I heard our worries was that, you know, the driving force and or one of the driving forces in A through F is going to make it easier to sell vouchers and privatization and encourage, you know, families to leave, you know, already struggling school districts. You know, so with, you know, Trump is one of his priorities is pushing privatization and pushing vouchers, you know, how is the new grades going to impact that and, you know, why is, why can't, kids leave F schools, you know, what, what's wrong with that? Must be my turn. <laughs> um, you're in those desks, so I won't ask you to stand, but how many of you graduated from a Texas public school? So look around this room. But raise your hand if you graduated from any public school. Not to, uh, to disparage any other choice, but the graduates of public schools and the graduates of Texas public schools have been responsible for Texas having one of the strongest economies of any state in the nation. So it it seems that it would be very difficult to put a failing grade on a system that has produced so much success. Um, I've been very fortunate to um, serve public schools for a long time, almost four decades, in fact. So I've seen a lot of accountability systems and given all of the generations of the tests Um, And what we know is that parents love the school their child goes to, and that school should be an A. One of the things that the commissioner made happen for us this year that I believe has been very positive and at least very informative is the individual score sheet for each child and their results, much like those that my parents got way back when... I guess you had to grade everything with a number two pencil. That really informs the parent about where the child is with regard to some things. But trying to take a school system and give it a letter grade, taking something so complex and so so multifaceted and assigning an A, B, C, or F to it really isn't possible. So... We'll, we'll live with it. We'll all live with this, just like we lived with the companies that sold the banners that said exemplary that had to be taken down the, the next year. Um, we'll live with it, and we'll work around it. 
But we know that schools, public schools, Texas ISDs are much bigger than an A or an F. They're big enough to go to the coast and begin to make a difference. Um, before I ever had an opportunity to ask my staff what they wanted to do, they came and said, we want to go, we want to take our HVAC folks, we want to take our electricians, we want to take our uh, technology people, we want to help someone. I spent the first 10 years of my superintendencies as a superintendent in very small districts. So we connected with a, a small district, Port ISD. Anybody know where that is? They had a sinkhole years ago, mm -hmm. right? And I called the superintendent, and she had just had an emergency board meeting, and um, it's, it's so unnerving to all of a sudden be responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, we sent two rounds of maintenance staff down there, and they were able to get school started within a few days because <coughs> just like in your district, her teachers and her staff were dealing with where their own children were going to sleep. They have 2,200 students, and on the 11th of September, 2,000 of them showed up for school, had two meals, had buildings that were comfortable, and adults in the classrooms with them. That's what public schools are about. So in our district, we have many students and families very concerned about DACA, just like you do. We have um, many children whose families are in Puerto Rico, in Mexico, uh, we have um, many opinions about whether certain statues should mm -hmm. come down or certain names should be changed. All of those are the things that society deals with. But society expects public schools to solve all of those problems for everyone and get an A. On the House Bill 22, on the, on the kind of the nuts and bolts... Mm -hmm. that, that we're having to deal with. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I had, so I had a little bit to do with that. And, and I'll take my fair share of criticism uh, for, for parts of it that, that none of us like, including me. Uh, but I, I want us to keep something in perspective, particularly if you're someone that's not in the education field and you're kind of observing and enjoying your value judgments from either your child's school, your child's teacher. I'll take it a step further Susan, I think parents determine whether their school's any good based on their kid's teacher. teacher exactly. If, they have a, if their kid's teacher's good, then everything else is fine. But as it relates to, to, to 22 and how it's going to be implemented, uh, I do believe there are a couple of things in there that are, that are going to be helpful. Uh, one of them is going to be the fact that uh, as a district and as a campus, at some point you're going to be most heavily uh, rated, if you will, or graded based on whether how well your students do just with performance or whether they're growing. Yes. And that's, that's two different student populations. Some student populations are going to blow the top off of any test we give. It does, they'll do well in spite of us in many cases. Other districts are going to have a hard time with that based on their student population, but they, but they help students grow every single day and progress, Ailey ISD being one of them. So I'm, the reason I'm not as concerned about it is... is uh, and I'll explain the letters, and I'll do the best I can in my community, and I expect every one of us and all 1,100 soups across the state of Texas will do their, will do their due diligence that. But I want people outside of the education field to understand that um, I'm not as worried about it. I will say this, and I've, I told the leaders throughout the entire session, I said, you guys are asking an accountability system to do the impossible. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's impossible. I don't, it, it, you cannot ask it to help children, help teachers, communicate with realtors, communicate with parents. It's impossible. You, you can't build a system along with just that. So I would encourage you as a, as a person with an influence in your area, whatever you do, mm -hmm. to look at those grades, but, but don't take them at, at, at that face value. Look inside what, what's there, and I think there are some good things that are there. I, I think the other important thing here is that we all have an emotional tie to grades. Mm -hmm. Like for us that made all the A's, I don't know about. I'm just saying, in, in, in general, in general, 
Somebody's breaking. Yeah. So, there must I, be a record I, somewhere I, I in that one, and I'm going to find it. All right. That's right. Susan, that's right. Or they deliver fake news. That's a person you don't want them to come to class. Don't take the test. You mess up the curve. No, but here's the reality: is that fundamentally, the A through F system hasn't addressed a fundamental issue. And that said, it is a snapshot of a moment in time rather than a journey of learning. And so when we do a snapshot of a moment in time where it's one test, one day, and we hope all the stars align, that we have not addressed. So when you have an accountability system that is highly dependent on that moment in time, you're not going to measure the great things that are happening in the school system. And furthermore, I think we're going to move further away from the great things that can happen in public school systems because this will give you a false positive. And so, so going back to the A through F system, while we want to say, you know, that's only one indicator, uh, the reality is that those grades mean something totally different to people that are not in the educational system because everybody has an emotional attachment to a grade. And so when we, when we look at that and we're not able to measure a journey of learning and we're focusing on just that one day, then there's something fundamentally wrong with that accountability system. And look, there is not an educator in the state of Texas that doesn't believe in the value of an accountability system to ensure that we're moving in the right direction. But we're in the, one of our best times in the state the matrix show that there are more kids graduating from the state of Texas. There are more kids college and career ready. And yet, we're spending a lot of time on this A through F system. And while we may believe that we will overcome this conversation, I believe that it has the potential to push us backwards in what the school system should be about, and that's building strong communities. That becomes relevant when we have natural disasters like the ones we have. And so this A through F system is going to have some unintended consequences. And we'd be, we, we wouldn't be doing justice if we believe that it's not, because we're going to be spending a lot of time explaining a very complex system. So let me give you an example. Suppose today we decide, and I'm going to go to Dr. Flores' uh, comment about the bus issue and the drop-off point and how that became a priority and, and an issue. Uh, suppose today we, we tell kids we're going to do one grade for the whole year. And, and that will be your grade, and then we're going to rank and give you a GPA based on that. You would have parents, it'd be a mutiny. The question is, why is there not that uprising now? Because sometimes we are too busy doing the work and not focused on the exact impact that this A through F system is going to have. And it's going to take all of us to have a common language and a common voice to change the trajectory of this kind of accountability system. Now, you know, for the past 20 years, there's been, you know, the, the voucher fight here in Texas. And, you know, this past session, it got pretty heated and took up a lot of time in session. And again, you know, Trump and uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos you know, she is very much for vouchers and having some kind of incentive to promote this kind of school choice. You know, is A through F going to make it easier for that to come to Texas, you know, next session? Well, I believe in choice. I think that's important. Yeah. And in Austin ISD, we have choice. We have a lot of choices, 130 campuses. We have 83,000 kids, a lot of choice. We have fine arts academy. We have single gender schools. We have um, liberal arts and science performance academies. We have pre-K academies. We have pre-K eights. There's a lot of choice with high quality teachers. And that's what I communicate. And there are many constituents in the room right now who help us in that endeavor to communicate to other folks and say, this is what's going on in Austin ISD. Here are some of the specific programs, teacher um, teacher efficacy, just different, different elements of the school system. I do want to hit on just the points around, and coming back to the complexity piece, because I think Susan mentioned it, and then Art as well, a very complex situation with a very oversimplified mm-hmm. response, which is not effective. It really isn't. I had a blue ribbon school. On one indicator, had an F, and that was based on attendance. But the category was college readiness. So try to figure that one out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, it's just amazing. And the other thing is, Parents having chosen that school, as a school of choice, chosen that school because of its rigor, because of its fine arts um, strategies and its design. 
And that means a lot to me. So when we look at any organization has to have a strong vision. So whether it's building strong communities or preparing kids for college, career, and life, and then you put that to one assessment for one accountability that's just sliced in different ways. It doesn't really tell you something else. It's just cut in different pieces, but it's the same thing. When you juxtapose college, career, and life, and one indicator here, it doesn't make sense. It's much more complex. So for us, it's been over time creating our own metrics, creating our own scorecard about what does college, career, and life really mean for us? When we talk about reinventing the urban school experience, when we talk about college, career, and life, what does that mean for a student who enters in our school system as three years old to when they graduate? What does that really mean? And what does our community want? What do we want? Because the community members are making those investments in public schools. And we have to be responsive to our parents and to our students. So it's about taking that time, I think, uh, so that when A through F or, or some other system, because I've also been through a lot of these. Uh-huh. I mean, I, started, I was a teacher through the system, right? So I've been through it a lot, right? When it was all new and it was all shiny and it ain't shiny and new anymore, right? It's just, it's just there. It's like, here we go again. It really is about taking... Um, taking that level of autonomy and understanding what our communities want, what our kids deserve, and then communicating that, juxtaposing along the vision for that school district. And for us, it's making sure that co- the kids are ready for college, career, and life. And having then uh, metrics right. that'll monitor progress towards those <coughs> outcomes. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, I do think that we, we talk about college readiness uh, a lot, and that's important, obviously, uh, especially in a community like Round Rock. But I also think, going back to Art's point, I wouldn't have made a lot of A's my first two, three years in school because I was still learning English. As a result, what we need to understand is that I think that there's a diversion. I guess the point I'm trying to make to everyone is that we're going to be commit, I mean, compliant with whatever system. We will be compliant. I think we're all going to be compliant. But we're going to be committed to looking at what we can do to provide the choice within our public schools that we can. But commit, committed and compliant are two different things. So we'll be compliant to this, but the real focus should be on school readiness. Where is that second, two, the two-year-old, that three-year-old, that four-year-old? And our focus in Round Rock right now is looking at how do we have early childhood centers? How do we allow for all students to get caught up prior to? And if you invest there, the rest will take care of itself. But because we are focused on AF, we're, we're, there's a diversionary track that's occurring right now with regards to public. If we can get them chasing these rabbits, they really won't chase this. And there's no real threat for me from vouchers or private schools yet because here's the deal. No system other than the Texas public schools are designed right now to educate 5.4 million students. There is no vehicle. And if all of a sudden it was to be a rapid 180 to shift that, I can tell you private and charters aren't prepared for that either. Nor do they want to teach all students that walk through the doors. We teach all and we welcome all. A number of y'all have brought up college readiness, you know, and that was one of the categories, the uh, domains that was eliminated from being graded. And, you know, Texas still has a very high priority on college readiness and career readiness. You know, Texas has a goal to have 60% of 25 to 34-year-olds having a degree or a certification by 2030. Mm-hmm. So if we're not grading it, you know, how do we know we're on track? And, you know, what does college readiness even mean? How, how do you know what that looks like? I think we need to be very, very thoughtful about how we inform parents and how we inform students mm-hmm. with regard to college readiness. Uh, we say college career community. Mm-hmm. Right. I think mm-hmm. I'll add on life. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Uh, my community really likes the idea of them coming back and paying taxes in our community, though. Um, so uh, for many years... That's been the end goal. How many, of your child, how many of your students are going to college? How many of your students are staying in college or finishing college? We're beginning to look at that. But we need to look a little bit deeper now with regard to readiness. Uh, certainly, we want every one of our students in Grand Prairie to be prepared and ready to go to college if that's the best choice for them. Um, in fact, very recently, we became a part of, the, of a Dallas County program called Dallas Promise, which literally promises a paid-for four-year degree to students who uh, maintain a fairly average 
GPA, which kind of makes me happy because I had one of those. Um, <laughs> B plus plus two. Exactly, B plus plus. <laughs> but uh, the idea that we encourage a child to go to a university and incur an eighty or a $100,000 debt and come out and say, what do I do now, is ludicrous. So we need to truly focus very early on helping children decide on their pathway. They can change their mind later. It isn't tracking. But what we do in Grand Prairie is begin educating our children very, very early and talking with them and giving them uh, choices and giving their parents choices about what school they're going to. Uh, 25 of our 42 campuses are schools of choice. And then within our other campuses, we have programs of choice. So if you're a fifth grader and you think you may want to be a fireman, you get a lot of information about how you have to keep your record clean. And in the eighth grade, you can choose that pathway and graduate from high school as a level two EMT firefighter and go to work for the city of Grand Prairie who will then put you through paramedic school. That child does not need nor want to, nor should the money be spent for that child to, to go through a four-year college program. Um, we had uh, just under 2,000 graduates last year, and we issued more than 6,500 industry-level work-ready certificates or licenses to go into the workforce. Some of those students will use them to pay for college. Some of them are about to make their career. So changing our thinking about informing students and parents very early has to be a part of that conversation about college. I think that the, the I don't think, I think the data is beginning to provide evidence to this, that the, the graduation plans and the endorsements and the pathways within those endorsements are beginning to have a positive right. impact. Right, can you talk a little bit about HB5 and how that kind of... I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's named after you, right? <laughs> No, I, HD5. I, I, um, let, let me say this. I, I will address that. Uh-huh. Real, let me say this real quickly about accountability, and I'd like for you to think about this for a second. I pushed really hard uh, when we were drafting House Bill 22. I pushed really hard to include this term that, I, that we came up with called continuous enrollment. Uh-huh. And, um, and here's the – and I'm going to tell you why I'm bringing this up. Continuous enrollment, I believe – are students who are enrolled in any one school district, any one school, over a continuous period of time. So, for example, if a kindergartner enrolls in Ailey ISD at an elementary and stays there for first kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, regardless of the assessments being used, I pretty much own his or hers performance. I've had a chance as a school system to have an impact, regardless of their background, regardless of their eco-disadvantage, regardless of their left, regardless of their, of their home situation. The biggest single factor preventing all students or most students from being college ready, if you will, or graduating going into college ready is mobility. Exactly. It's, it's them not being in a continuous, stable uh, environment as it relates to education. And oh, by the way, that is home. Now, that's not that's not newsworthy. That's not nothing that someone, has. as a matter of fact, I had a third grader tell me several years ago, Mr. Chambers, that ain't rocket surgery. <laughs> think, think about it. <laughs> I said, no, Michael, it's not. <laughs> and I'm going to patent that term and I'm going to use it every chance I get. But, but the, the thing that's really inhibiting, particularly in suburban and urban areas, is mobility. There's data out, <clears throat> there's a lot of data that we've run that says if a child is in a system from kinder through 12th grade, about 85% of them are going to graduate, quote, unquote, college, workforce, life, ready, whatever adjectives you want to use. It's mobility. So I think there's a bigger issue at play here with the state as it relates to mobility. Now, to House Bill 5, or to graduation plans, um, the, the data that's beginning to come through in terms of students and the endorsements they've selected and in terms of the, the courses they're taking within those endorsements are demonstrating that they're doing exactly what Susan and others have mentioned. They're beginning to identify, these are things I'm interested in. And believe it or not, 13 and 14-year-olds do have an opinion. They're knuckleheads, and they'll act like knuckleheads, but they do have opinions on what they're interested in at that time. Mm-hmm. We're not asking them to declare a major. We're not declare, asking them to declare their lifelong career, uh, because many of us are still trying to figure out what we're going to do. 
But, but as a result of forcing families and kids to think about that and allowing us as systems to build meaningful courses, and I'll give the State Board of Education credit. I think they did a really nice job of approving the courses that I think are meaningful and just not fluff courses. I think what's going to happen over the next five to ten years is we're going to see a much more prepared student graduate for college, and they leave, we call them college, career, and military. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to, I think we're going to, we're going to do that. I give the new policy a little bit of credit for that. I give a whole lot of credit to that, to the business community, to moms and dads and parents who are demanding that we do something differently. And I give credit to, to educational systems across the state for beginning to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. And we're still doing it. But that's my 10,000-foot view on it right now. You know, a, a number of us went to Singapore last year and looked at their education system there, which is known for being one of the best in the world. And one of the things that I took away from there was the deep involvement that the education system had with the business community and reassessing every year, you know, what are we going to need? What are the kind of workforce we need? And there was a number of businessmen on the trip who talked about, you know, we have all these jobs that we need to fill for middle skills employment that has, you know, really great salaries, but we don't have the students that are prepared for that. No, I, you know, what, what can K-12 do to work with business, and is there enough collaboration going on to meet those needs? I would say that House Bill 5 has changed the narrative mm -hmm. and changed the conversation. And to your point of the trip to Singapore, it talks about the importance of mm -hmm. mid-level skills as right. well. And so in Harlingen, as we transform and create choice uh, throughout our school system, it's really this whole concept of on-ramp, off-ramps. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're not going to necessarily go to a four-year degree and that's be your first degree. And so how do you go on to a ramp, get some kind of industry certification, work your way through college and so forth? Mm -hmm. The reality is that we're not going to we're not going to be able to change the narrative to the extent that we need to unless kids are at grade level. Mm -hmm. And so it's critical, the early childhood, that we focus on literacy and reading ability and comprehension. But as you move to the high schools and so forth is, how do we do deep dives into pathways? How do we do deep dives into careers? And look, just like HD says, you know, 14-year-olds sometimes can't even choose what clothes they want to wear. Well, they do know what they want to wear, but it's not what we want them to wear. But anyway, uh, so... so I what, can't wear what, my two that's right. school so, every day. So 14-year-olds, so but I'll tell you what. Mm -hmm. When they find their purpose and they find their interest, mm -hmm. they're all over it. Mm -hmm. We did a scalable model on a robotics program and a chess program in HCISD. You can't get those kids to leave at the end of the day mm -hmm. because they wow. found their why, they found their interest, and that's not measured through an A through F system. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that, that in. <laughs> you, know, you know, also, I think the 60 by 30 has, I, I like it. I, I wonder, though, if Steve Murdoch in the Texas challenge he issued in 98 would say that's enough. Uh, I know that's a, a little bit of a pressure. But what it forces, in a good way, uh, for us to, in, for example, in the Round Rock uh, community, the Round Rock Chamber is pivotal with externships, with internships, all the things that we need to be able to do. But so is the Austin Chamber. So we have great partnerships that allow for us to determine or understand the need. I guess it, go, it does really need to go back to the Texas Challenge. That's Steve, for anybody, everybody all probably already knows that, but it's Steve Murdoch's looking to the future 40 years later down the future and saying if we want a first-class world working system ready for a first-rate economy, we have to prepare our workers, which correlates right to Singapore trip. It's very simple there. You, we, can, we can say it's complex meritocracy. We can do all those things. We can debate that. But here's one thing about Singapore. They see education as an investment. Exactly. They do not see it as an expenditure. Right. And that changes the narrative very, very quickly. So really and truly, the 60 by 30, you know, by, by, by 30, we feel good about that. We're, we, we, we have great partnerships. We continue with that. But it also forces the businesses to say, wait a minute, and, and have the discussion that needs to happen. Because when schools are better, it drives business. It is an e we're not in the business of economic you know, prosperity or, or bringing in economic, uh, but, but our chamber is. And you don't think they want us to have great schools, successful schools? You bet. So it really comes down to how do we feel about preparing our students for a world of work? And especially right now, do you know that if you've got a kindergartner, that kindergartner graduates in 2030, 
2030. Now put that to, to the side and say, wait a minute, that means their children, when do they graduate? So we're touching the next 60, 70 years right now. And what we've got to realize is that what we know to be true is that we've got to teach not only the, 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 the reading, writing, math, but also the ability to, 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 to be a critical thinker, to be creative. And that's one thing that, that the Singaporeans love about our schools. Where's the, that we allow for creativity. So and, I could go on and on on that, but that's, that's, that's and the, enough. And the reality is this, is that uh, some of us here are first-generation college graduates, and that's the only definition that we have, an example we have of leaving poverty. Mm-hmm. And so when you're trying to sell this whole idea and the value of an industry certification, adding value to a high school diploma, that narrative, that's a challenge. And, and here's what I will say to Dr. Flores' point. The business community has stepped up. HD mentioned that. The, the communities have stepped up. They say, we need this help. We need this workforce. Uh, but the reality is that if we don't have role models about the importance of those industries, we have an apprenticeship academy in Harlingen. Uh, we, we, have a, we, we have a firefighter academy and so forth. But if kids... If you have a school system where the students only know a four-year degree to be the way out of poverty and the pathway out of poverty, mm-hmm. we have to find a way to change that narrative. And the way to do it is to invest in our public school systems and invest in those authentic learning experiences labs that are highly, highly expensive. We, are, we redid our automotive technology program, and we, we received a Texas Workforce Commission grant for $300,000. And so they bought all this equipment. It took an investment of the HCISD of 150000 just to have the infrastructure to support the new equipment. That's one program of study. But I can tell you that we're on the path to the right thing. House Bill 5 has resulted in 42% of our kids leaving with some form of industry certification after graduation. And that's an added benefit to a high school diploma. In our era, our parents were interested in us getting a high school diploma. You need to graduate from high school. Then there was another era you have to graduate from college. I think we may have overcorrected. Mm-hmm. There's a journey right. to getting mm-hmm. to that. And we don't start with our finished career. Some of us are still trying to figure it out. Just kidding, not me. I just <laughs> I just want to be a rock star that, astronaut, that's right. ice skating princess. I, I, but, you know, I, I want to sing for a living. One thing House Bill 5 did do, and I'm, I'm proud of this, is that it's kind of like Steve Jobs used to say, you know, just throw out a good idea and let everyone else make it a great idea. Mm-hmm. And what, is it, what, I've, what I've witnessed is I think House Bill 5 was a good idea. It wasn't yes. going to solve the world's problems but it was going to start giving people an opportunity to have great mm-hmm. ideas. And I think all these examples across the state and all the conversations that are having that, that some of us are a part of have, have been, mm-hmm. we're not there yet, not by any stretch, and we're still figuring things out. But I, I, I think the discussions that are happening and some of the actual actions that are happening are, are, are credit to, the, to Chairman Acock and others that pass that. But the reality is the A through F system can extinguish that momentum Good. real quick. If we allow it. If we allow it. We, just, we, we, we can't allow it to happen. Right. We, we can't allow it regardless of what letter. You know, I always said, if you want people to understand what letter grade, I mean, what your schools are doing, put an emoji on it. You know, <laughs> if, if you want people to really understand, they'll understand emojis better than they understand <laughs> ABC. <laughs> That's true. That's a thought. Well, uh, yeah, we, yeah. Have, we have mics here, so if y'all, we're opening it up to questions. So if y'all feel like... <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Hi, I'm Louis Malfaro with the Texas American Federation of Teachers and have very much enjoyed the conversation. So, uh, you guys and gals managed to get through the whole morning without mentioning TEA or Mike Morath. So, um, I, I spend a lot of time looking what other states do, and No Child Left Behind is gone. We have this thing called the Elementary and Secondary Education Act which states around the country have used as a way to recalibrate their entire accountability systems. Um, Texas used to be a leader in accountability, especially in the days of Governor Bush and Governor Richards, Um, but we seem to be a laggard right now. Um, We still have laws on the book that can take your school board's authority away from your district Mm -hmm. if you have one low-performing school, one IR school, for, for four years running. And we have a commissioner who, as a school board member, 
tried to get rid of the school board in Dallas and create a separate governance system. We have a commissioner who I can't see what we've done on ESSA at all. And we've been in meetings with his staff, but there's been almost no engagement with the public. Now, Donna Bohorich and the state board, they took it upon themselves a year or two ago to do a series of listening tours to ask people about accountability. And teachers, parents, um, community members, business leaders all said the same thing. Testing is still driving the train in Texas. We got to change it. So I'm assuming you guys get some face time with the commissioner. What's up with Mike Morath, who's going to be in here at 4.30? And what do we in the education community need to do to get the ball rolling on checking testing? Right. And uh, if y'all can hear, the question was related to... Okay, I'm, I'm, I'll be happy to... I'm not going to say what's up with Mike Morath. I won't answer that question. But I've, dealt, I've had a chance to work with him extensively during this session. Um, to SF, I agree with you. Part of the problem, the historical problem with the agency, and S is just an example, is that we get information at the 12th hour before it's due two minutes later. It's been like that forever mm -hmm. on just about every issue, and we can all rattle off example after example. A concern I do have with the way the agency communicates with us right now, and I have voiced this, is the, the, the un inflexibility in some cases about when we're notified about what's getting ready to happen, ESSA being an example of that. Uh, I don't want to get into to, to the commissioner personally. I personally like him. Uh, I've had a chance to work with him. We have differences of opinion on several things, obviously. We all have differences of opinion with him. Uh, but I, I will say this, that uh, I think the question you're asking would be very appropriate when he's up here and asking him to, to clarify and, and, and all that. But I'm a, I'll leave the rest of that alone. Mm -hmm. But I do agree with you on testing. Mm -hmm. I tried my best. I tried my best to minimize the amount of testing, the impact it had on, and I, I lost. We all lost. Oh, Our kids lost. Mm -hmm. And there's political reasons for that. Up, up there. Hi, um, I'm a high school senior from um, Coronado in El Paso, so I just wanted to let you know it's cool. a student perspective. Mm -hmm. cool. uh, my question is regarding House Bill 5. Um, given that many students don't yet know what they want to do or change their minds frequently, even very late, how do you avoid House Bill 5 making students feel stressed or stuck in something they no longer want to do by forcing a life-changing decision so early on? Yeah, have we pushed the... Yeah. Like uh, my colleagues, I believe that choice is very powerful. So as a high school senior, you make many choices for yourself, and then there are probably choices that you don't get to make for yourself yet. Uh, I'm going to guess that when you get to make your own choice, whether it's in an activity or something you want to pursue, you put your heart and soul into it and do much better. So um, the opportunity to offer to families many choices is where we have the power. But that puts the impetus up on the school district to provide adequate information beginning very, very early. So um, in our district, I'll tell you, we felt like House Bill 5 was written for us because we had gone down that road already with career tech and partnerships. Um, so we want to begin very early with young children and have career fairs in elementary school where um, speakers come in and talk about what they do. And, and it's not just the policeman and the fireman, but um, all professions. And begin to inform students. They can always change their mind with House Bill 5. A, a student can change their pathway every year if they want to. We don't want them to because right. if we lose the coherent sequence of courses, we lose funding. But, um, but there's nothing that ties that student to one pathway and they can't get out of it. Um, and that's the beauty of it uh, in one way because that's encouraging. But when House Bill 5 uh, first came about and when we first began at the eighth grade level, having our students make a choice, I had a little bit of apprehension that parents were going to come and say, no, my eighth grader isn't old enough. Just the opposite. We had parents say, thank you 
for causing my 13-year-old to think hard about their future. So I don't have a fear at all that it tracks students. In fact, uh, your mom doesn't want me to tell you this. You can change your major your senior year in college. I'm glad you asked it. Real quick, that was a major concern, Mm -hmm. and obviously with with you and some of your your peers. Mm -hmm. I know you didn't get to experience this, but if House Bill 5 wouldn't have been in place, you would have been told what courses to take, and you would have tried to fit in some courses, you personally and and your friends, you would have been told Mm -hmm. you'll take these four courses and then you'll be able to take a few electives depending on whether you're interested in fine arts or whatever. So as Susan was saying, there is no... Tying. There's just a little bit more flexibility. So the stress that you're feeling or your friends are feeling, um, it would have been there with without House Bill 5. Can I also and say I, that I think if we also, in the 32 courses that students take in high schools, or 28, that the accountability doesn't drive it so that everything is focused on just one career path. So for us, 17 high schools, 11 of those are comprehensive. All of them have to offer all of the different pathways so that the four classes may be connected in this pathway sequence, but there's still other electives, other specialized courses and that high school experience that kids are going to change their minds from the time that they were 13 or 14 to when they are 18. And it's very real. I do think these two are almost running on parallel tracks and we in the system have to make sure that it doesn't become so narrow that it's like, yeah, I really didn't like this, but now this is all I know, so I better do this. Right. So it's, a, it's really important that these two pieces that somehow work independently in the school system, we have to bring them to work interdependently with the courses that are offered in schools so there's a broad array. So you can truly experience still all of the different electives that'll make you into this contributing member of college, career, and life, or community. I can't even I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to take that one back. So it's always helpful for that, right? But I think it's for us to make sure that that array of experiences are there for our students and it doesn't become so defined so narrow that we're only hone in on what's a test and what's an assessment. That would not be helpful. And, and I want to commend you for standing up and voicing your concern oh, and congratulations yes, on what you do. Let's give her a hand because it's a... I, 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 will, say, I will say also that we, we have to make sure that our narrative on the endorsements includes that you have an academic core that you're taking. The other part and the sequence of courses is to do a deep dive into those career paths because in those spaces, we have found that more often than not, the kids are finding their purpose and their why. And so while there are, is some resistance to that concept, I think that the overbearing you know, uh, return on our investment, it's, it's making a difference and it's pressuring our system to redesign ourselves and to reinvent ourselves. And to the point of the gentleman that asked the earlier question, you know, oftentimes, legislatively, the laws are passed, and then you have an agency that's pushing out, here's the reality of the law, and things come to us at a later time and so forth. And you, I think with the last part of your question is, what can we do? And so I, I would suggest that we really do a deep dive into when do our voices most make a difference? And if we're the largest employer in every community, mm-hmm. and we impact the most people, I would... I would probably suggest to you that during voting time is when we can make the most difference. There you go. All right, we only have time for a couple of more questions. Uh, good morning, I'm uh-huh. John Fitzpatrick with FK Texas. First of all, thank you guys for being here on Saturday morning, as hard as you were Monday to Friday. Appreciate you being with us. I wanted to get back to, I think it was Dr. Flora's question about compliance versus committed. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a through F, STAR, and of course exams, and whatever the new version of AYP is, that is compliance, there seems to be at least six things that are optional that you make a decision to be committed to. ACT, SAT, dual credit or TSI, advanced placement, international board, baccalaureate, and then the question about industry certifications. What are your districts and communities committed to, and why? We're, we're committed to of those six you just mentioned, the ones that are most critical in ours are ACT, SAT, and then dual credit and TSI. And the dual credit and TSI leads to the workforce certification issue. Uh, those are the things that we are putting money, resources, and time into through early college high schools, through innovative grant academies, through T-STEM academies, things of that nature. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, that, that I mean, he, he sums that up. I think uh, every child, we pay for every child to take the uh, 
SAT as a junior and a PSAT as well. So um, we do that, but at the same time, I think early college high school has been a really good push for us. The partnership with ACC, I think, is something that uh, I know that everybody's got early college high schools. You know about it from the Texas High School Project, all, the, all your uh, work there. So we thank you for that, John. But at the same time, I think the partnership with our community college here can be one of the best, not only in the state, but in the nation. So we're committed to continuing that, continuing. You know, the other thing is we, we, we look at a high school, and a high school, uh, we look at the design for a comprehensive high school. I think we, it's time that we start looking. We found out with early college high schools, we started 100 uh, two, and then 200 now, and then next year 300 students. I think we have to look at high schools that are designed for specificity. Uh, as we talked about back to endorsements, health sciences for us is our biggest. Well, we don't have a health science profession high school. Harlingen does. I mean, they, they did a great job. They created that. And so from that standpoint, we've got to be committed to what we know that it's not necessarily comprehensive. It needs to be more adaptive. So I think that's where we're working on as an administration to try to work with our communities to see the adapt adaptation of specificity high schools. To your list, John, I would add the importance of starting strong and finishing strong. Here's our reality. Uh, in Harlingen, we had a half-day pre-K program, and we had 60% of our students were moving forward kinder-ready. The board, and I have one of my board members here, and I appreciate that, Dr. Nolan Perez, uh, the board took the bold initiative to make it a full-day program and fund it locally with our school system, and we are now seeing rates. We're sitting on 94% of our kids are moving kinder-ready, and unless we have them at grade level, college and career will be a catch-up, not where we need to be. So yep, exactly. we would add that to the list. I think we have time for one more question. So back Many education systems outside of the United States view education as a struggle or as a process of learning through failure, whereas ours has become increasingly focused on grades. How can we as a community alter this attitude? That's a great question. I think iteration, uh, iteration and failure. Uh, we was at HEB last week at corporate headquarters with the Holsworth Project, and uh, they encourage fail, but if you're going to fail, fail fast. So then they can then take corrective action for that. So the iteration and, and, and an ability to know that, that failure is okay. In fact, it's sometimes our best teacher. Uh, but to the extent how schools, I think we need the flexibility as well. The curious question from the high school student also dealt, I think what you're asking for, some flexibility and some understanding of that. And I think through collaborative soft skills teaching as well, what we know is what's important is allowance for that collaboration and for student failure, but not let that be the guide, just let that be the impetus for what's next, what iteration. What I think we're just from an iterative state, you look at, I think we're in the iPhone 8 now, I don't know. But that obviously means that it's continuous and failure is is definitely something that... I'd also just up. add um, that looking at what does a community want, many times having people uh, asking, I always ask this question to a business community or to any community, in, the last grade hire, what were those characteristics? And they're going to say grit, persistence, communication, creative, yeah. collaborative. I mean, those are the ones that are so essential. As a language arts person, I'd love to hear my best hire is a person who never uh, wrote a fragment or a run-on sentence or a split an infinitive. But I've yet to hear that. It is always about, it is always about strong academics, absolutely. But what I even want as a dad, with two, still two kids in the public school system, it is about persistence. So when you're successful, great. When you're not, what happens then? So you fail, but there's persistence, there's grit, there's communication, collaboration. We call those in with the six C's. Those are the things that individuals want. Parents want that, employers want that, and then of course we want that for our kids. And that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that. And the difference between education in the United States and, and other nations, um, even Singapore, a very, very intentional system that I've had the opportunity to, to look deeply at two different times. Our difference is that we expect to make every student successful in some way, that there's a place for every child, and we're responsible for searching and digging until we find a place. And um, we use the term failing forward. Um, we do believe it builds resilience, builds grit, all of those things that are very, very important. But failing out 
is not something that we do in this country or, or this state or our school district. The, the un, the un, well, in some cases, they were intentional. I'm, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you believe that. But our assessment and accountability system for the last 25 to 30 years has made us scared to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that, we, that it wasn't an mm-hmm. option or it was an option. It was we, were, we were fearful of failure. We still are. And we're fearful of labels. So decisions that people on the stage make and then others on campuses make, uh, in many cases, is based out of fear because I'm scared to death. If I don't do this or if I don't teach at this pace, uh, I may do harm on a, to my students on a test. And as a result, I'm going to get some label that, that no one wants. So I think the difference between uh, other countries, whether it's Singapore or any other uh, country that seems to have the reputation of having a sound education system, is this idea that we don't allow ourselves to fail and we, we're not. This is, this is a newsworthy here. Public education used to be an incubator of citizenship, and it used to be an incubator right. of creating That's citizens. Right. And, and it's, it's beginning to, with the, the way in which choice and vouchers and segmenting and, and crafting different uh, opportunities for kids to go to school, we're beginning to, to, to move away from that. And I'll guarantee you, when we were flying to Singapore, there was another plane leaving the Pacific Rim mm-hmm. somewhere flying to the United States. Mm-hmm. That's right trying to figure out what we're doing to be creative and innovative, and we're over there yeah, trying to figure out true. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, to your question, I wish that we had more room to fail. And I mean fail and learn from that failure and then move on. Unfortunately, the poor classroom teacher, yeah. bless his or her heart, they don't have the luxury of failing. Sure they and don't may- have time to yeah. take chances and choices and try to figure things out. And maybe we're using the wrong word. <laughs> Instead of using failure, allowing people to go through adversity and really learn how to persevere during adversity times. I will tell you that in Harlingen, you know, we talk about six C's, and we believe that if kids leave our system knowing how to communicate, collaborate, think critically, and be creative, all rooted on a great character, you're going to be successful, regardless if you encounter failure along the way. And I will tell you that we worry more about the kids that don't experience failure when we have a support system, and later experience it when there's no support system. Well, I think that's our panel for today, so thank you for staying with us. Please feel free to tackle these guys later. They'll be willing to talk. And you can follow me on Twitter at Eva Marie Yala, and I'll tweet out some of the stories related to some of the things that we talked about. Thanks. <laughs>